How are you this morning? A little bit chilly. We live in Hillcrest. Woke up this morning and it was like yikes. Then I could just stay in bed. Didn't help that I had to wake up at four o'clock to prepare, but anyway. Yeah, lastminute.com. It, it really is a privilege to be here, to be sharing. Um, I feel like I have a word for the Lord, a word from the Lord for us. <laughs> Just help Jesus a little bit when he's, when he's in the pickle. Not. And, and I, I, I want to release it in, to us this morning, and I want to just speak around some, some issues that would prevent us from cooperating and appropriating what I feel God is saying to us in this season. You know, um, it was so interesting hearing all the, the prophetic sort of uh, guys sharing, and pick, they're picking up something in the spiritual and it really is lining up so much around what I'm wanting to share this morning. So it kind of, it's, I feel like the Spirit of God is saying something to us. Um, it's not a somber moment, but it's a serious moment. And it's, it's a beautiful moment. So I'm, I'm just going to share and take us on a journey. And um, I've got 29 minutes and 6 seconds. 4 seconds. So let's, here we go. You know, a few weeks ago, I was hosting the meeting, and Brandon was leading, and as, you know, when you're hosting the meeting, if anyone who's ever hosted a meeting before, it's perhaps one of the most difficult jobs you can do. You know, you're trying to sense what the Holy Spirit is saying. There's all sorts of things going on. People who've had, like, too much garlic the night before feel like they've got a prophetic word, and you're not sure if it's, that's God's saying. You know, it's, it's just a tricky moment, you know. It can be. It really, really can be. And, and that's just being honest and vulnerable. You know, it, it might look to you, hey, it's really spiritual going in the front, uh, on the frontier. And sometimes it is. But sometimes it's like we, we're just praying and hoping for the best. It's like kind of when you go with your card, you know, you know, these new tap cards. Well, mine's now a tap and pray, you know, just hope this goes through. It's kind of that sort of situation as you as you're hosting the meeting. Anyway, I was hosting the meeting and Brandon was leading and, and it's always easy to host the meeting when you have a worship leader who's front-footed and, and doing their thing. And, but I'm, I'm sensing that there's a key for the meeting. And I'm like trying to figure out, and I'm saying, God, you're saying something to me. I really don't know what to do. There's a key for this meeting. None of the prophetic people are coming to share. And I'm, I'm trying to figure out what the key to the meeting is. And I kind of, and a little bit before the meeting, um, I'd seen Camlin. Camlin, why don't you stand up? Let's embarrass you. We're going to embarrass her. Come on, stand up. Okay. So, so she's on the keyboard doing her thing, and I felt like she had the key for the meeting. And one of the things that, that does come naturally to me is to put other people on the spot. So I kind of went up to her and said, Cameron, I feel like you, you hold the key to the meeting. You've probably got a prophetic song. At which stage her eyes just kind of enlarged and she looked at me literally like a deer in the headlights. She was like, are you kidding? She didn't say that. She was like, just smiled politely, but you could just sense, you know. And anyway, so the meeting continues and then I, I can't get away from this feeling. I wish I come back to her and I say, um, I walk right up to the stage and I kind of call her over and I say, Cameron, now is the time. 
and she kind of like steps back, and I can't remember all the specific details, but at that moment, she turns and she looks to her father. He smiles, nods, and almost says, it is time. And she steps forward and she breaks through. And it, was this, and it wasn't a profoundly powerful, didn't, you know, the foundations didn't move, but it was just a beautiful moment of somebody who had been camped somewhere broke into another sphere. And so I was, I mean, I was actually, I was, I was in tears watching this moment, you know, I don't really, hardly ever cry, but I was crying. And I was, I'd walked, this had stayed with me during the week. And I was like, yeah, God, that was really powerful. And I, I felt like God said to me, he said, that wasn't the key for the meeting. And I was like, oh, okay, well, what was it? And I feel like he said to us as a community that that was the key for the season. So I'm like, okay, now I'm like doing my prophetic. As anyone who's slightly prophetic, you start to like go into like all ears mode and asking and looking for signs and looking for a triple nine on a bus and, you know, all the kind of stuff that (laughs) weird prophetic people do, you know. know, Oh, yes, God said that. I saw a yellow car, you know, confirms that. Anyway, this is what I felt. You see, that moment was two moments in one. First of all, it was a signpost moment. Now, we all know what a signpost does. You know, when you're lost and you're driving and you're in a territory where you don't know, this is, and this is pre-GPS and Google Maps and, and Waze and all those things, you'd be driving looking for a signpost. When you saw a signpost, it was like, ha, I know where we are. You know, we arrived, we're in Johannesburg. So a signpost donates or speaks to the space or the place or the season that you're in. So it was a prophetic signpost for us as a community that now is the time, there is a grace on us for us to step beyond where we are, to step out, to pack our bags, put the tent away, roll up the sleeping bag and say, it's time to go to another place, time to go to the next season, time to say no to something time to say yes to other things, but it's time to shift. And when the signpost moment comes, it means there's a grace on us as a community to do that. Now, what that looks like for you and what that looks like for me could be completely different things. For Paul Spooner, it could mean, I don't know, deciding to spend every single morning with God. For somebody else, it could be in this. For somebody else, it could be saying no to a friendship. For somebody else, it could be starting a business. For somebody else, it could be praying for their neighbor who's got cancer. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. The issue is this. There's a grace on us because the Father looks at us as we look to Him. He smiles and He says, it is time. So it's a signpost moment. And even as I'm speaking, I feel like the Holy Spirit's going to drop something into you and you're going to know the thing you need to do, the action you need to do. And I want to say to you, I'm going to give space at the end of the meeting. I want, if you do, turn to the person next to you when you, get, when it's, when you feel like something and say, hold me accountable. 
I've got something, hold me accountable, I'll tell you afterwards. Because having the feeling and doing the thing is two very different things. I've had a lot of feelings and a lot of impressions that I need to do and done very few of them, sadly. So number one, it's a signpost moment. The second thing that it was is that it was a seed moment. You see, the seed moment was for Camlin. She doesn't know what her life holds, but she planted a seed, and the seed was setting in motion something that the Spirit of God could work with and lead her into something way and beyond. She has no idea where she's going to end up, but the host of heaven does. It does. And so when she, when she is obedient, and, she, and that's for her and for you and I, we can all have our seed moments. When we're obedient, we step and we plant a seed that begins to unfold, the, allows the Spirit of God to begin to unravel and unfold a destiny for us that was dependent on planting the seed. There ain't no seed, there's certainly never going to be a harvest. And so there's a seed season. And the seed that we need to plant is around making decisions. Hearing what God's saying and saying, yes, God, I'm going to cooperate and I'm going to deal with that thing. I'm going to slay that dragon that has had me for a long time. I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to say yes to this. I'm going to say no to that. And I want to just release that over us, that there is a grace in this season for us to do those things, to make those decisions. Now, I want to say this. The grace is on you for you. It's not on Taryn to tell Greg what he needs to do, although she probably would like to. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? It's not for you to tell your children what to do or for you to tell your spouse or your friend at work. The grace is on you for you. You plant the seed, you're going to reap. He's going to bring the increase. Think about what the grace is on in your life right now. Turn to the person next to you and say, hold me accountable. You can do that, Matt. You see, there's another... I better read a scripture to make it a preach. <laughs> Otherwise, it's just a talk. So let's, let's go to Judges. So Judges 6 verse 11. So... We, the, the, the context is this, Israel, once again, disobedient, overrun by the baddies from next door, the Midianites, they do, they're doing their thing, the Israelites plant and try and harvest, and the Midianites just come and say, thank you, I'll take a bit of that, I'll take a bit of that, I'll take a bit of that. And the Israelites are like crying out to God, help, help, and he's saying, hey, you guys are disobedient. What do you want me to do? You've tied my hands through your disobedience. Okay, that's very, very broadly paraphrasing up to you. Verse 11 in chapter 6. Now the angel of the Lord came and, came and sat under the terebinth at Oprah, which belonged to Joash, the, we'll call him Abizrite, while his son Gideon was beating out the wheat in the winepress to hide from the Midianites. So he's trying a sneaky deal. He's going to try and do his wheat where no one can see him. He's hiding. He's not confronting the enemy. He's hiding and working around it. Too many of us are like that. And they can. And then an angel of the Lord appears. Now, if you read commentaries, that angel of the Lord 
is the, in different places. It, it's actually the Lord. So Jesus comes to him. The Lord comes to him. and says, hey, Gideon, you mighty warrior. The Lord is with you, a mighty man of valor. And, and Gideon goes through this whole thing of, you know, come on, I'm nobody, I'm a nothing. And that, that's not my phone, is it? We're <laughs> good. And you see, that was Gideon's signpost moment. It was Gideon's seed moment. The word of the Lord comes to him, the spirit of the Lord comes to him, and he's got a choice. And at that moment, his obedience plants a seed. And he, he did go the long way around. You know, hey, I need a fleece. I need to prove this. If it's you, God, then this. If it's that, then that. But it's interesting that God didn't do it for him. When he said, how am I going to do this? God says, go in the strength you have. I will be with you. Go in the strength you have. I will be with you. When you look at your giant, when you look at your mountain, when you look at this thing that you've got, your addiction, or your anger issues, or your whatever, and you're saying, God, deal with this thing, God, deal with this thing, God, deal with this thing, God, I've been fighting 15 years with this thing, I still can't win. Go in the strength you have, and I will be with you. There are some things that God expects us, because He's made us in His image, that He expects us to rely on Him as we deal with Him. Not to allow Him to deal with Him, but to look to Him so we can deal with Him. Okay, so th that's, that's a, a powerful seed moment for, for Gideon. So that's, that's the season that we're in. There's a grace to respond when we hear the words, it is time. So you don't have to keep going round the same mountain and fighting the same battles. There is a grace for us to go beyond. Now, if, if it was that simple that we could say, yes, God, there's a grace. I'm in. I'm changing. I'm done. I'm saying yes. And it happens. It would be wonderful. But it doesn't work like that. I mean, I don't know if you remember, I had an amazing experience where I'm embarrassed to say, it, next to my house, behind my kind of carport, there was a pile of rubbish. You've, most of you have heard the story of garden refuse. You know, when you, Hillcrest is like the promised land, promise you. You just cut and it just keeps growing. Cut, grow, cut, grow, cut, grow. And so this thing had just been, every year I've just been piling it there and thinking, oh, I need to get it taken. It started off, I'll just transport it off to the dump. And then it got too much for a trailer. And then I think I'll maybe get someone's four-ton truck then I think it went beyond that, and then I just, like, ignored it. You know, I'd get into my car looking that way and do my thing. Anyway, I come home, and we've got this pile. Literally, was, like, it's huge. As high as that thing, huge pile. And there's pandemonium. This, this thing's on fire. It's, there's natural combustion. I kid you not. It's like burning. And, and luckily, Mavis, who comes and helps us with the B&B, was there because she's never there normally. That was the day that she was there, and she had smelt something. So she went outside, sees this thing, and then there's a wooden fence from there to the house. So now it's burning along the wooden fence on its way to the house. Anyway, so she's got the hose pipe and buckets, and then Janine had arrived home, and everyone's trying to put this thing out. And it took like two hours of spraying water to eventually get this whole thing out. Anyway, the, the big pile is now devastated. And I felt like God saying, 
He's going to do things for us where He's going to clear up the, the, the rubbish of the last few seasons that we didn't have the capacity to deal with ourselves. He's going to deal with. And I thought, that's amazing. God, I'm ready. I want this thing to happen in my life. I want change. And then yesterday, or the day before, I'm going to my car and I look up and I've got Philemon who, who comes and helps me with the garden. Actually, no, that's a lie. He doesn't help me with the garden. He does the garden. <laughs> Let's just put context here, you know. Philemon's amazing. Anyway, so he's now trimming the hedge and cutting. And I look to where was once burnt offerings finished. There's a pile growing. And I'm like, oh dear. Oh dear. You see, when God does something, unless we've changed, we go back to the same thing. And, and then it, we actually get back there and we're more despondent because we've had the miraculous, we've had the breakthrough, but I'm back trapping the same mountain again. And it's like, what, what on earth now, God? Now, you're almost like, oh, I give up. I give up. It's just, this is my lot in life. A pile of garden cuttings as high as Mount Everest in my backyard. That's it. And you know what the truth is? So many of us are like that. And what we do, we get quite clever. As Christians, we're quite creative bunch. It's not garden cuttings. It's compost. And it's intentionally there for a reason. And we do that for all sorts of things in our lives. We just relabel them so they become acceptable. And we live with junk and crap, if I may say so, in our lives because we've relabeled, relabeled it and it's okay. And we carry on and it's good. And I'm speaking to myself just as much as I'm speaking to Brandon. And the rest of you are okay. <laughs> so, unless we do some changes and unless we adjust some things or be, are aware at least of some things, we're going to end up with another pile of refuse that we call manure. So I want to share five things. Now, can I just say, you can preach for 50 days nonstop about the things that stop you entering into the kingdom of God. You know, there's just, there's just everything you can think of. So I, I've highlighted, I've specifically felt Holy Spirit talk about these five things. So it, you can, if it's something completely different for you, that's also good. But just hear what I'm saying, and they, they're not the normal kind of things one would, would assume. Well, some of them are, some of them aren't. But I feel like to these five things, God is saying, it is time. So the first two are things that stop us even starting the journey. Just stop us. If you've got one of these two in your life, you're not even going to phone the guy to come and clean, remove the rubbish. You're not even going to go there because it's just too much. The second two will get us, instead of getting the guy to come and remove the rubbish, you'll end up cutting the good stuff because you'll be on the wrong playing field. You won't have any, you, you just, it, it distracts us from fighting the wrong battle, leads us to fighting the wrong battles. And then the third one is like the slow strangulation that you can get going, you can deal with this, you're powering on, but you're probably not going to hit the finish line with this thing in you because it's going to strangle your, your, your life in Christ. So, so number one is past disappointments, 
failures, or experiences. Those things are terrible because we allow them to come into the presence, into the present. It's kind of like somebody shares something, yeah, and I tried that, didn't work. Didn't work for me. I'm not going to do that again. And so what we inadvertently end up doing, we make vows with ourselves to disobey God. I'm never going to do that again. Well, what if God asks you to? You've made a vow with yourself that you're not going to do that. And so we lock ourselves, our disappointments, our hurts, our fears around that, lock ourselves out of entering in. And what we need to say is, what do I need to learn from what happened then? What could I have done differently? God, what were you showing me? And if you made a vow that says, I'm not going to, you might put other words to it, but really what it's saying is, I'm not going to listen to God again if he says anything that sounds like this, this, or this. Right now, just repent and say, God, I'll break that vow. I give myself permission to obey you wholeheartedly. And the thing is, we didn't know we were making those vows, but that's what it ends up. So the disappointments cause us to make vows that stop us from entering in. It's powerful. I mean, it's, we didn't think like that. It's like, oh, no. Oh, gee, that's what I've done. Oh, how did I do that? The other thing that happens is the... Let me just check my notes to make sure I get this right. You see, so firstly, we lock ourselves out of the will of God. The second thing that happens is, where's Mark Watson? Is he here? Uh, he is here. If you've got any technical issues with your internet, can I suggest phone Mark Watson? He's got solutions. He was just telling me now he had problems with the internet. He had to get the guys out. And what had happened is he'd plugged the thing in the wrong hole. So, <laughs> so Mark's your guy. Anyway, I mean, Mark is a walking miracle. But if I can be vulnerable with you, the last three people that I know of that got COVID and ended up in ICU died. Then I hear Mark's got COVID, and I'm like, okay, I'm praying for you. I've got faith. I'm doing this thing. Mark, you're going to live. God's got a destiny. I even phoned him. Got a purpose for you. Next thing, he's in ICU. Suddenly, I can't pray for him. So I've actually got no faith. Why? Because my disappointments have become my testimony, which is prophesying to my future. And I've got no faith to deal with that. And they have a prayer meeting, and I'm like, I'm not going there. I'm, I'll just bring the house down. I'll close the house. There'll be, everyone will be praying, and then I'll start praying, and like, oh, God, help us, please. Just won't do that. You have to re-narrate your disappointments and put them in the right context so you do not allow them to become testimony that prophesy to your future. Because that's what te te testimony does. You have to choose your testimonies. Yes, there were three people that died, but you know what? It's one person that lived, and that's going to be my testimony. Even though I had nothing to do with it, I'm, I'm, I'm on that bandwagon. Yeah. I'm there. Thank you, Jesus. And so, so important. So our disappointments hold us back, lock us out. The second thing, which is, is, is ubiquitous, is fear. 
you know, when, and when you talk about fear and talk about crossing over, entering in, new season, you have to end up with Moses and the Israelites coming out of Egypt, arriving at the promised land, and it's like, yoo-hoo, we're in. And, and if you listen to the narrative and you, you talk about it a lot, you'll, what you will hear is the giants kept them out of their inheritance. But that's not entirely true. The giants had nothing to do with keeping them out of their inheritance. In fact, nowhere does it even say that the giants knew who the Israelites were and that they were even sending spies. The giants weren't even aware that the Israelites were doing what they're doing. So they had nothing to do with keeping them out. The issue was the fear in the tin gave them a lens which, which they saw the giants and saw themselves. And they come back, flip, we are like grasshoppers to these guys. And when we have fear that is undealt with and unmitigated and unbridled, it will determine what you do and what you don't do. And as Christians, like I said, we're super, super clever. It's so, like, it's just so non-Christian to walk around with fear. So, ha, just relabel it. Wisdom. <laughs> That's very unwise to do that. No, you just pop scared, so you won't. Don't relabel your sin. You will get yourself tangled up and your life won't work out for you. The reason why sin isn't good and God hates it is because it messes us up. It's not like we have to deal with sin so we please God. God hates sin because it messes our lives up, gets us in a tangle. It, we, get, we just don't, we don't become images of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords that we were created to be when we got this thing messing us up. We need to call our sin and our issues for what they are so we can deal with them, so we can walk in freedom. When fear locks you, you cannot do that. You can't. You just can't. You see, fear, in many ways, is the antithesis or the opposite of faith. It's very difficult to have fear and faith unless you have courage. Because having courage is not necessarily doing something because there's no fear. It's doing something despite the fear. And it's not even doing something well, it's just doing it. Sometimes the most courageous acts are those that we do that don't even work out. But because they were done in faith, heaven smiles, heaven delights, and I promise you, even if it didn't work out that moment, it's seed in the ground that's coming back to, coming back to you. So many of us have this weird feeling or understanding that if God is in it, it's going to be calm seas, like the Mediterranean on a gentle summer's day. Easy, to, nice, gentle breeze, lock and load and shoot across, and it's going to be easy. And, and so when we encounter issues and when we encounter resistance, immediately it's like, oh, this shouldn't be like this. There's something wrong. Jesus didn't finish off the enemy. That's our job. We are at war, people. We are robbing, we are 
plundering the kingdom of darkness and we're populating the kingdom of light. That is a violent act. It is a violent act tearing down people's idols and idolatry. It's violence. I'm not talking about physical violence to people. I'm talking about spiritual violence. The Christian walk is a violent walk. Full stop. There are times when it's beautiful and there's moments of peace. It is always peaceful. But the very nature of what we do is we are going against somebody who is absolutely spitting mad that Jesus died for us, loves us, and he's put his image in us. And he will do anything to destroy that. So if you're having your thinking that if it's not going well for me, there's something I'm doing wrong, no, it's probably the opposite. If it's going swimmingly, it's probably because you're not messing with the kingdom of darkness and they're happy to let you cruise in the Mediterranean and have a party because you're not making any difference at all. Now, don't build a theology out of that, but what I'm trying to say is don't judge whether you're in God or out of God's purposes by whether it's going well or going badly. It's whether you've heard God, you have people speaking into your life, and you know what you're called to do. Full stop. Okay, so that's number two. Let's get a swig. Is that clock going backwards now? Oh, my flip. I've got to rush. Okay. Entitlement and offense are the next two. And they're actually, they're two sides of the same coin. Now, why they are two sides of the same spiritually, they are two sides of the same coin. So entitlement really is this. Entitlement is the fact of having a right to something. The very nature of when I've got a right to something, it means that right was given to me. Okay? My father was a king I'm a prince now. I'm entitled to be a prince because he was a king. There is a flow down. As soon as entitlement is taken, it's the wrong way around. It becomes a pseudo-entitlement that leads to all sorts of chaos. And I want to say that where we live in right now, we are the most entitled and offended generation ever has lived. I'm quite sure. It wasn't back then, but I'm just telling you, it's, it's crazy what's going on. People are offended for things, they're entitled for things, and it just causes problems. Now, why does it cause problems? Do you know you can never gift an entitled person anything because they deserved it? You show me an entitled person who has thanksgiving in their heart, and I'll show you a three-rand note. Do you know what I'm saying? They, they, don't, they don't go together. And we enter his gates with thanksgiving. And so what happens is when we have entitlement, we start to think it's a right to do things that isn't necessarily a right given to us by the king. And what happens is this is where the big problem is. Amongst all the other problems is we'll end up fighting battles that we weren't called to fight, but we are entitled to fight. So we'll start to activist for this or activist for that, which I have no issue with. But the issue here is, what did the Father give you to do? What have you called to steward? Not what you entitled to steward. What are you called to steward? And so you have people, Christians, believers, 
with this entitlement in them that they're, they're on the wrong playing field. They're called to be soccer players and they're trying to play rugby and getting beaten and can't work out why. And so entitlement just shifts us. It puts us in another place. And in the same way, the other side of the coin is offense because if you're entitled, you will become offended because it just never works out. That's it. And offense is, is an interesting thing. Offense comes when we don't get what we think we deserve, when something isn't done the way we think it should be done, when something is, is, comes against us, when somebody does something they shouldn't do. Now, the thing is this. However offense comes to you, I, I don't want to comment on that because there, there are a lot of horrible things done all the time. The issue is not when people do bad things or do bad things to you. The issue is what you do with the offense that it wants to bring to you. And I'm not, for, I'm not justifying any bad behavior, any bad church leadership, any bad business, any bad our parents, grandparents, anything bad. The issue that we have, the responsibility that we have is to own what was given to us. To own, sorry, is to own our own hearts and not take possession of that um, offense. If you take possession of the offense, it is yours. If you allow that offense to come through this thing, and this is what happens with offense. When I have offense because of the way Susie treated me and didn't greet me, I carry that offense with me wherever I go, and I will just find another outlet for it to come out because it's in me. I'm carrying it. I chose it, I'm carrying it, and wherever I go. And the same thing with offense. Bill Johnson says, if you carry offense, you will end up in deception because I'm always reacting to something. I don't like the way organized churches, I don't like the way home, small churches, I don't like the way this is or the way those people, who those people think of. We're always reacting to something and it ends up we're on the wrong playing field and we're fighting the wrong battles again. And it's just crazy, crazy, crazy. It is time. When we take our eyes and we look at our Father, He's giving you courage to make some decisions that is going to be like a seed that sets in motion something that you have no idea where it's going to end up. But the host of heaven does. And they're watching in excitement to see how this pans out. But we get ourselves trapped in so many things. And the final point is shame, which is so funny because we, in many senses, we are the most shameless generation. You know, when I was growing up, the thought of me inviting a friend over and flipping through an album, you know, photo album, with just photos of me would be the most narcissistic thing you could ever think. No one would even think of doing it. You know what I mean? It's just like, what are you doing? Why are you even taking a photo of yourself? Do, do, do you know what I mean? It's just like, who, who's old enough to remember that? Like, you know, I mean, it was bad enough going through someone's grandchildren's photos, you know, but just photos of you, and this is me here, and this is me there, and this is me here. It's stuck. So, in one sense, we're the most shameless generation out. We'll, photos of myself in all different positions, in all different postures, in all different everywheres, and I put it online so you can all see it. Because I'm really good looking. You know? And then there's even things to tell you how to take a photo that makes you look slimmer. It's like, 
So in one sense, we're utterly shameless. Yet in another sense, there's an epidemic of shame. We've just relabeled it. And the problem with shame, you see, shame's been around from the very beginning. In the garden, Adam and Eve were ashamed, and they hid. And therein lies the problem with shame, is that when I carry shame, I hide. But we get a little clever. We just lock it in the backyard. And we Instagram in the front porch, and we keep the shame in the backyard. So what it means is we never allow anyone into the backyard of our lives, let alone the attic. There's just all sorts of, you know what, up there. And so it limits the amount of connection we can have. So shame causes disconnection. So you can respond in faith, with courage, deal with entitlement, deal with offense, be on the right track, carrying low-grade shame, I just start to disconnect. I'm, just, I'm going to run out of steam because it is community, it is relationship with my father, relationship with my spouse, relationship with my family, and relationship with my, with my church community that holds me and gives me identity and locks me into who I am. Without those things, eventually, I unravel. And that's just how God designed it. In heaven, we're community. We are designed to be in community. When we disconnect, we cause ourselves to disconnect. And I want to just say, I want to throw this in. Perhaps the biggest purveyor of shame today is pornography, especially among the Christian church. I was reading a book on it, and this guy was saying they run a leadership it's an American book, so it's American stats, but it's not far from our stats, that they run for young adults a leadership thing, church leadership. So that's like people coming in wanting to be in NGOs and churches and youth leaders and all that. They run a, a thing for that. They don't ask the question, do you have a pornography problem? They ask the question, how bad is your porn problem? Eight out of ten men under 30 have a porn issue. Just don't look to your left or your right. <laughs> and and the, the problem with porn, amongst all the other things, is it brings shame. And when you have shame, you disconnect. And the disconnection is more harmful than anything. The porn does all sorts of bad stuff to us. But the disconnection is the thing that's going to kill you spiritually. So, we are in a season where courage is required because the Spirit of God has said it is time for courage. So I want to ask each of us, I want us to close our eyes where you are. Just bow your heads. This is a moment for you and for God. And I think one of the things that came through, I think Bev was prophesying, that there's, it's a significant moment. This can be your seed moment. I want you to just be open to what the Spirit of God is saying and ask Him to highlight what is the seed you need to plant to change the trajectory. And it might be a silly little thing like taking someone out for tea, or it might be phoning your friend and saying, hey, I've got an alcohol problem, I need help, I've got a porn problem, or I've got a whatever.
whatever those things are. You see, guys, the point of dealing with this stuff is so that we can walk on to greatness and to the call that he has for us, so that we don't get somewhere and fall over, that we are sustainable, that we can go with the long road. So where you are, just ask the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to pray. Father, when you bring a word, you always, always bring the authority and the power for that word to have its effect in our lives. And we're all in different places and different journeys, but we all have one king. And so this morning we respond to that word, we partner with it, and we choose to say, Lord, what are you saying? How do I, in this signpost season, how do I cooperate with the grace on us as a community to plant some seed, to make a decision that's going to, that only you know, Father, the unraveling of it. But I want to plant it. I want to be brave. I want to be courageous, despite if I'm feeling scared, if I'm feeling like I'm going to be shamed, if I'm feeling like, oh, this is such a silly little thing that I've got. I've hidden it for so long. People are going to laugh at me. I, I choose not to listen to any of those voices. And today, I choose to listen to your voice. There is too great a destiny in front of me for me to allow this little thing to hold it back. So thank you, Jesus, that you speak to me. Thank you, that, and I choose to respond this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.